Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you with particularly high spirits today for a variety of reasons. It's the middle of a glorious summer here in Vancouver. The ASME conference has just wrapped up after a very successful effort at their first virtual meeting. And I get to speak with Naomi Valentine, which is a particular pleasure in part because it's always nice to have uh, PhD students on this podcast and to hear about the work that they're doing for their doctoral studies. In addition to being a PhD candidate, Naomi is a general practitioner, and the work that she's doing is coming out of Flinders University, specifically the Purdue Centre in Australia. And we're going to be discussing a paper entitled Making It Fair, Learners and Assessors' Perspectives of the Attributes of Fair Judgment that you will find in the September 2021 issue of Medical Education. After that long-winded introduction, Naomi, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's an honor to join you and really enjoyed being invited. Thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm actually very personally interested is another reason I'm feeling a bit elated this afternoon in the title or topic, I should say, of your project and your PhD studies, you know, being judgment and in particular how we use it in assessment contexts. Maybe I can just start by asking you to position this particular paper in that broader PhD program of research in which you're engaged. Yeah, fabulous. Thank you. I started my PhD, like many, after having worked both as a clinician, but also within medical education, you know, getting on for a decade. And I was starting to contemplate really at that point, I was working in a programmatic assessment framework, and I was trying to work out how to combine sort of non-numerical scores and information to make judgment decisions. And I think during this process, I was sort of frustrated that subjective judgments were often considered a little bit of a second rate to sort of so-called objective exam scores. Yet, obviously, as you know, these are the competencies that are so highly regarded by patients and workplaces. And they were kind of what I was saying about those were being ignored um, and didn't fit within the system that we had. And so I started my PhD and I pivoted that PhD a little bit to look at this. And I was obviously like most people who start very naive and a bit solution focused. And I was like, what can we do about this? And it took an embarrassingly long time, but after much reading and discussions with excellent supervisors, to come around to the idea about what about fairness? If we go back to fairness and look at fairness, because fairness is this thing that most people agree on. It's pretty much unanimously agreed that assessment should be fair, both to patients and also to the learners themselves. So instead of focusing on optimising objectivity and focusing on better psychometric techniques and how judgment fitted in that, if we took a step back and returned to fairness, then we didn't have to try and make subjective judgments fit this objective model. And we could say that subjective judgments have a legitimate place both alongside, not replacing, but alongside objectivity in fair assessment. And so then that obviously brought about the question, what is fair judgment in assessment? And that's been where the focus of the PhD has been. Excellent. And with this particular work, one of the things that I found intriguing was that you start off by saying that even very early in your abstract that there is a strong theoretically constructed conceptual model that exists in the literature. And so why I was so interested in that being so early is it you know, begs the question of why wasn't that enough? What made you feel like you had to do something else rather than just trusting what you were reading about? 
Yeah, and that's an excellent point. And I think probably here is also a good point to to pivot and also notice that I'd like to begin also before I talk about these two papers is acknowledging also my very fabulous and knowledgeable co-authors of both of these papers and my supervisors who without this research wouldn't have occurred. So, yeah, so... When we first started this, we did undertake a literature-based model and spent a long time looking at both not only the medical education literature, but also the broader education literature. I also spent a bit of time looking at the legal literature because there's a bit of obviously some comparisons that you can draw on there. And we created sort of, um, there was a theoretically derived conceptual model. But the thing is, I guess, is that you can create these lovely models, but if they don't work in practice and if they don't fit the needs of the on-the-ground supervisors and learners and they don't reflect what they've done, what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're experiencing day to day, then the value of it is limited. So we wanted to go and say, all right, how can we make sure that we can build upon this? How can we make sure that we are creating something that's on the right track? And I must say, undertaking this study, it was fabulous because it really provided a lot of detail. So what does it actually mean to say you need procedural fairness? What does transparency look like when you're talking about judgment decisions? What do these things actually mean? And it really helped by able to undertaking this study to really build on that model. Well, and, and methodologically, just before we get into some of those details, did you present the model to your participants? Did you try to avoid reference to it? How did you make sure that you were able to juxtapose that with what you were hearing without leading participants to simply tell you what you knew to be in the model? Yeah, absolutely. So what we did do with this is, no, we didn't present it to them at the beginning. We used vignettes, though. What we did was we created vignettes because we were worried that if we're speaking to people and we say, tell me about fairness, they'd be like, ah, well, it needs to be X, Y, and Z without really sort of building on that detail and understanding their idea. So we created three vignettes and they were a great starting point. But what we found is they brought out a lot of information, but they also encourage people then to tell their own stories. So once we'd gone through those three vignettes, they would, or and even during it, they go, oh, well, actually what happened to me, this reminds me of a time when this happened to me, or this happened to my friend, because often in medicine, and you all talk to your friends and you all know what happened. So they had their friends' stories, they had their stories. The supervisors spoke of times when they were registrars, or that, sorry, they were residents or trainees, we call them in Australia. And so it provided just a jump off point for them to share their stories. And then when we went to analyse it, we were deliberately in some ways looking for evidence to try to counteract that model, to make sure that we were really careful because we weren't without, you know, experience and knowledge in this. We had developed this, we knew this. So we really made the effort when we were analysing the data to go, where does this contradict the things that we've been saying? How can we make sure that this is a really true representation of the data? And so we went through that. And there certainly were some differences and I think some of the things that we're missing, for example, was that none of the supervisors or learners really talked about defensibility or legal implications or what happens if a trainee, you know, turns around and says, well, no, actually, I'm going to take legal action here because I should have passed or anything like that. They didn't talk about documentation really at all. And we would say, no, actually, surely these are key parts of fair judgments is documentation. But I think that showed their perspective that they are not interested in that sort of thing because they're the on the ground supervisors. It's not their 
issue what happens at a high you know institutional right, level right. all they care about is that on the ground dialogue so that was interesting probably the administrators who would be much more focused on the legality etc absolutely and that sort of highlights really another study that really needs to be done which we will look at is what do the program designers think you know they're much more focused on that yeah. well and you open this conversation by contrasting fairness with objectivity did that distinction come out in any of the things that you were hearing from your participants? Did they seem to confuse the two terms or were they readily keeping them separate? Yeah, again, it's interesting, I think, because they didn't use a lot of jargon. So if you actually do a fine search through the data looking for the term objectivity or subjectivity, it came out very rarely, like not significantly at all. What they talked a lot more about is what would make those judgments fair. And some of those might have sort of similar concepts, like so using multiple assessors and multiple judgments and pattern recognition and things like that. And some of the things, there might be some overlap in that, but they didn't really talk about, oh, this is objectivity or this is subjective or this is an exam or things like that. Interesting. And, and so coming back to some of the details of what they did talk about then, you yeah. alluded to getting some additional nuance for the, the individual or system level factors that were in the model that you described. Can you tell us a bit more about the things that you found particularly yeah. interesting? Yeah, there was lots that came interesting. And I think what we found ultimately is that fairness is a multidimensional construct. And this isn't surprising. You know, it's very unlikely that we're going to have a simple rule that's going to apply to all contexts and all situations in something as difficult as health professions. Our, our work would be a lot easier if those things did exist. Correct. That's right. But in some ways, you know, it's helpful because if you did create it, something very simple, it's almost certainly not going to be able to be applied in the complex system that it is. But what we did find, though, I think that was really important is that although it's complex, we could articulate it. And I thought that was really important because then we can actually start having conversations about fairness and start muddling our way through this issue with all the different stakeholders. And I guess expanding on that, we did find really that it isn't a one size fits all and that the specific situational characteristics and context needs to be considered for the judgment to be fit for purpose. And one of the things that we noted was really prominent in all of the interviews is that assessors or those who are making the judgment decisions need to have expertise and agility to collate, interrogate, interact with, interpret evidence, go seek extra evidence if needed in making those judgment decisions. It is an, a tick box form as such. And if an assessor could do that, then that made you a long way to go that the judgment could be considered there. And so it sounds like the fact that it was subjective, or there was, even though they didn't use that term, or there was a judgment, wasn't the fundamental barrier. It was on what the judgment was based. Absolutely. Absolutely. That the judgment was based on evidence. And then that leads, I guess, into another point that it wasn't single, it was multiple. And the idea of triangulation, so multiple opportunities, multiple assessors, multiple data points, multiple pieces of evidence, which, you know, fits with some of the ideas that we already have about modern assessment already. But it allowed for this triangulation of data, balancing, I guess, of different perspectives from different people was really important. 
It was also interesting that when we talked about multiple things, some of the supervisors were really noted that that was also really important in making difficult judgment decisions. So if there was a decision where they go, look, I don't think this trainee should continue with this particular path or needs to be held back or something, having multiple pieces of information and having multiple people involved sort of broke down this massive thing of failing somebody into a smaller part and made it much, much easier Mm. in a way and and sort of provided support for that. So it was really clear that having that multiple bits of evidence and multiple things all together was really important. And so that suggests to me, tell me if I'm misinferring, but it suggests that your participants were fairly readily able to separate their judgment of fairness from their agreement with the content of the judgment. Is it true that the perceptions of fairness weren't completely wrapped up in whether or not they liked what they heard? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I should preface this by saying, you know, these are people who have volunteered to be part of this study. And so I think you've got a select group, but within it, many of them were able to say in their experience, oh, I remember when this happened to me and I understand and appreciate why it happened. And I thought it was fair because of all these sorts of things. And so they were able to do that. One of the things, though, that was also really, really important to them was that it wasn't a surprise decision. So if assessors were doing all these things and they were getting the idea that the trainee wasn't doing well, it was really, really important that that was shared with them. Mm-hmm. And one of the trainees actually did talk about a time where this was really talked through to them in multiple times. And they, in the end, were quite grateful that they were held back because it was clearly explained to them. They received lots of feedback. You know, there was lots of evidence for why it was. And they had the opportunity to improve that and get that right before they move forward. Interesting. I ask that because it leads to my last question, which is about the implications and that one of my interests in this topic that you're exploring so carefully is whether or not fairness or perceptions of it facilitates receptivity on the part of trainees or practitioners who have something to learn from whatever data or information is being presented to them. What have you gained by way of insight into people's thinking about fairness that might help you speak to how we engage them in feedback conversations or otherwise that would make them more receptive to whatever they have to gain? It would be lovely to have a nice, simple answer for that too, (laughs) wouldn't it? That's another one of these challenging situations. It'd be interesting. I'm not sure how much. So I certainly didn't ask. That wasn't the focus, obviously, of the paper. And so I'm not sure that I have a lot of insights to add to the amazing body of literature that's sort of already around that. Certainly, there's some other literature from the legal literature in that when judgment decisions are made in that sense, if the participants feel that it's fair, they're more likely to to engage with the consequences, for example, which is normally consequences within the legal system. But within medical education, no, certainly, I guess it was harder to do that. You would hope that having multiple pieces and having that message put through multiple times might be helpful in trying to do that. But look, this is really speculation. Certainly, it wasn't unfortunately something we really focused on. But it would be really interesting to know if we did change perspectives and we go, right, let's go back to fair. How could we help with that? problem. Right, right. So in fairness, rather than asking you to end on speculative things that you weren't really focused on, what implications would you draw from your data for educators or trainees? Yeah, one of the implications, hopefully, that we would draw from it is that although it is complex, and there's no simple formula that if you do X plus Y plus Z, you're going to get a fair assessment. 
there are definitely areas that you can look at and things that we've defined to start conversations. And you can look at your assessment programs and go, all right, how can we make sure these things are implicated within it? And because maybe if we can start doing this better, we can better legitimise the subjective judgment that we all do value so much in more of a high stakes environment. So certainly the take home, I guess, is to really say, yeah, this is complex, but it can be articulated. And let's start these conversations about how we can better utilise subject adjustments in our assessments programs under the lens of fairness. And we may not always agree, but at least now we have a bit of a narrative that we can go back and forth and have a conversation to try and make sure we build it in. Wonderful. Sounds to me like you're ready for your PhD defense, although I'm sure there's a bit more work to do before (laughs) you get that little bit of pleasure. Yeah, a few more studies, I think. So I think that's, yeah, that's right. That's sort of the next step is going up to the program designers and going, how can we make this work for them? And where does it fit in that regard? But yeah, no, it's good fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and good luck with that. I hope it goes well and look forward to hearing what you find as you take those next steps. I'll just end as always, though, by reminding our listeners that if you want more details on the paper that we've been discussing, it will be in the September 2021 issue of medical education under the title Making It Fair, Learners and Assessors' Perspectives of the Attributes of Fair Judgment. And Naomi Valentine, thank you very much for taking the time to tell us about it. Thank you very much for your time too. It's been great.